Welcome to Season 3, Episode 33 of the Lucas Baseball Podcast, brought to you by Dr. Roto. Dot com, your home for everything fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports, and sports betting. We have a sign-up special right now. You can use promo code LOU, that's L-O-U, for a nice discount on any of our premium packages. I'm Lou Landers, joined by my co-host, Lucas Beery. On today's episode, we are playing Would You Rather for 2022 Fantasy Baseball and discussing whether we would take certain players in certain draft spots. Lucas, how you doing, buddy? And of course, before we begin, as always, take a moment, promote your work at drroto.com, what you have going on. I'm doing well, Lou. I'm doing well. I'm glad that we can convene for another pod it's been it's been a couple weeks here but yeah we've just been taking care of business uh pumping out good content over at drroto.com feel free to take a look at my mlb dfs articles we come out i come out with three a week personally uh, and we've been uh letting those uh we've been uh putting the posting those as free so even if you don't have a subscription feel free to come by Uh, we do have some free content out there to provide a taste uh, for anybody who Uh, is interested in that definitely giving out some great free content as well but of course the premium stuff is as good as it gets those sunday morning starts it with doc himself and then with emrick doing dfs and discord uh definitely important so uh subscribe join that discord channel get that stuff for your fantasy football fix but let's get going here position by position today we're going to do catcher first second third and shortstop we'll also talk about players we're really interested in next season there will be a second part to this episode where we look at the outfield and some pitchers but lucas let's start with the catcher position and let's talk about a guy who is having an amazing season salvador perez are you comfortable drafting him where he might have to in the top 50 next season you know i think i am i I will I will do it in some teams. Now it's not going to be more than 30, 40% of my teams, but the amount of value that he has provided this year is just asinine. He's not going to do that again next year most likely. I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't pencil him in for more than 29 to 30 homers. But if he provides you 28 to 32 home runs with 80 RBIs as he's done time and time and time again, because he gets to play DH, he's DH 33 games this year. He's caught 116. True Ironman. He'll be 32 in the middle of the summer next year. Uh, I think the advantage that he can provide is substantial enough for me to take some shares in round three. You know, maybe round four. He could be a round two pick. We're just really guessing here, but I think the advantage that he provides at such a pitiful position. We talk about tight end going for that premium in fantasy football, I mean, catcher is even worse. So if you can get a, a difference maker there, I mean, he's been one of the MVPs of fantasy baseball this year, Salvador Perez. He certainly has, but I'm still going to have to disagree with where what you're saying. Not that I don't think he's going to be a great player in the sense that I'm not taking him inside the 50. I would really never draft any catcher mm-hmm. that early, especially one turning 32 next season, entering his 12th year Yeah, he could reach 50 homers this season, and that's obviously incredible, but I don't buy into the fact that he's going to come close to it again. Career high, 
prior to this season was just 27. Another thing to consider is this. Obviously, you cannot predict injuries. It can happen to absolutely anyone. Look at Ronald Acuna Jr. this year. But you are not going to come close to replacing Salvador Perez on waivers if he gets hurt. It's a lot easier to replace a third, fourth round player that's an outfield, middle infielder, or starting pitcher. If you take Salvi and he goes down, you're in a lot of trouble. You certainly would be. And if I were to take, you know, whenever I'm doing my draft starting in even November, I'm going to be doing some early drafts despite uh, some uncertainty with the CBAs. I'll be I'll be taking some Salvador Perez here and there because as far as catchers go, I mean, the bar is so low. If he provides you 30 homers, that's going to be immense value. Yeah, it'll be weird drafting him in the same range as some elite talents uh, such as possibly – you know, as Andrew Bogarts or, or, you know, you name it. Um, but I think that the difference he can provide you is so substantial looking at some of the garbage uh, that is available at catchers. But it's an interesting debate, and we'll have to see where the ADP settles in. One thing I will add to my answer is in a draft and hold, I would be a little more tempted because there's That's no waivers anyways, right? Yeah. Um, I can't replace him on waivers anyway, so I would take the gamble. But in a basic season-long league no i'm not taking that chance if he even misses like two months and remember he did have a serious injury that cost him an entire season so it's not impossible that it could happen again one more thing i'd like to add and yes i did have him that year whenever he tore his acl carrying his luggage oh that was a disaster i lived in kansas isn't that that what bellboys are for you'd think but you'd also think that uber drivers are there to help people out if they need a lift anyways (laughs) um looking here at catchers there's only six catchers in baseball that have hit 20 home runs this year. So if he can provide 30, that's just such a massive advantage on the rest of your league. I, I could certainly sprinkle in some Salvador Perez, even at an elevated cost into my draft and hold portfolio. Fair enough. How about this question for you? Pick one to buy, pick one to fade. We have Buster Posey, Yasmani Grandal and Wilson Contreras. Yes. With this one, I struggled greatly, so I thought it would be a great topic. This might be an unpopular answer, but I'm going to be concerned drafting Buster Posey next year. He'll be he'll be turning 35. He has a myriad of games under his belt. He's played 1,300 games, and this is his, this is a second career best slugging percentage at 500. He's only done 500 slugging percentage. Uh, two other times so it's uh i don't know what exactly happened but i would imagine it gets worse next year on top of the games played turning 35 you can look at yadier molina and and talk yourself into him being able to continue to do it but i would rather go for either grandal or Contreras in that case so that's kind of where i'm at with posey i'm concerned i know the batting average is elite he's always been a good batting average guy but I would just have some concerns about the age and the power regressing uh, to a degree next year. Of these three players, Posey is definitely my fade. Great season for him, incredible career. But as you mentioned, 35 years old before next season starts. And he's going to cost some pretty solid draft capital based on what he's done in 2021. In terms of who I would buy, it was a 
bit of a tough decision until I really dove in, and it became quite clear. I'm going to buy Osmani Grandal, legit power mm-hmm. at the catcher position, hits in a great White Sox lineup, and even in limited time this season due to some injuries, 20 homers in 79 games. He's hitting a homer every four games. Pretty ridiculous for a catcher, and not including last year's shortened season. He has five straight years of 20-plus home runs, so it's. I'm not going to say you can bank it, but it's pretty darn close to almost a guarantee that he gives you those 20-plus homers at that position. The amount of runs scored that he produces is just ridiculous with a 22.5% walk rate. I mean, that is just uncanny. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty similar on Contreras and Grandal for next year. I would probably try to, you know, go maybe 60-40, maybe half and half because an injury can just kind of hurt hurt one of these guys with the demands of catcher. So I would sprinkle in shares of both since I love both. They're both big power guys. I don't think the average will be as bad uh, with a 232 average of Grandal this year and a 225 batting average of, of Contreras. I don't think that's who those guys are. Maybe more so Grandal. Contreras, I think, is, is okay at, at average-wise, but certainly like them both. It was a tough choice. And really, um, I'll just sprinkle both to make sure my exposure doesn't have me leaning too much on one or the other. Fair enough, of course, in an on-base percentage league, it's a clear runaway for Grandal. You mentioned that walk rate. It's not even close. How about first base? So we'll start with the guy who has a chance to win the American League MVP, although he has some stiff competition with Otani. It's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Is he a top-five pick for you, or will you pass because he's not providing those all-important stolen bases? going to be a tough choice but i'm i'm gonna pass on him i'll take him from time to time i'm a big multi-leaguer um i'm gonna probably have between 10 to 12 leagues next year i'll get him on one or two teams but looking back at my standings on all my leagues steals i'm mid-pack for the most part in a lot of my leagues and obviously the first 30 to 40 picks are where you can really bolster it with good bats so I am going to prioritize steals. I'm going to take a worse hitter because Vlad is one of the best or second best hitter possibly in the game behind Otani at the moment. Soto's up there, but yeah, I think I think I need to prioritize those steals, and I'd be all right passing on him uh, in some drafts. I do want some exposure, but that's where I'm at, Lou. Yeah, he's not a top five player for me in redraft. I do want the stolen bases. The steals in round one may not be the end all be all, but they are very helpful and they can be had easily with your number one pick. Vlad, certainly in my top seven or eight though, and in Dynasty in my top five because he is so good and he is so young and he's one of only a handful of players that will be elite for the next 10 plus years. So in Dynasty, he's certainly a top five for me in redraft, probably in the seven or eight range. For me, it's going to be very tough to pass on Jose Ramirez in round one. I'm going to be pushing him high up the board. We'll talk about third baseman later, but I have a feeling I'm going to be absolutely loading up on Jose Ramirez. Just a perfect profile despite the team not being high scoring. It's okay. I can live with that. Yeah, well, he's hitting in the middle of the lineup, so even if they don't score when they do, he's usually a part of it for sure. Let's play another would you rather first baseman. We have Anthony Rizzo. Or Joey Votto? Again, a very interesting one depending on where Rizzo lands this offseason. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take Rizzo, but it hurts me being such a Joey Votto guy. 
I like the fact that Rizzo is six years younger. That makes a difference in my mind. And the the uh, strikeout rate for Rizzo, he's just going to feel a little bit safer putting the ball in play more. And if he goes back to the Yankees, I'm liking that a ton with that short porch in a full season to really feel out and figure out the park since Rizzo is such an advanced hitter. So it broke my heart to not pick Votto, but Rizzo was my choice here. Yeah, it's definitely tough to answer without knowing where Rizzo is going to be playing next year. I'm still leaning Rizzo, I think, though. Nothing against Votto. Love the player. Great player. Had an incredible season. Really fueled by a massive month of July, though. He hit 11 homers that month. 18 homers in July and August combined. When you look beyond those two months, Lucas... He really didn't perform much at the plate, though, which is more like what we've seen from him since 2018. He just turned 38 years old. Just not sure I can pay the price you're going to have to based on what he's done this season. Not to say Rizzo hasn't had some of his own struggles the past couple years, but you mentioned 60 years younger is a big factor. And his so-called down or off seasons are still better than those of Votto's down or off seasons. So at this point, I feel much safer with Rizzo. The strikeout rate alone shows a bit of a safer profile to a degree. I mean, it's it's we're, we're picking nits here, but Votto striking out 25% of the time, clearly a career high, 20% of the time strikeout rate in 2019. And then in the shortened season, he was again 20%. He's, he's getting more aggressive, which is working because he's hitting those bombs. But I just don't know how sustainable that is versus a guy like Rizzo, who's always putting the ball in play. If not, he's walking. It's just a, a beautiful profile for Rizzo in addition to the age difference. But a great question and a fun debate. You know what? I think Rizzo goes after Votto, too. I think so. I think so, especially before Rizzo finds a home. Now, if he goes back to the Yankees, you know how you Yankee fans are just dominating out there. And it seems like there's always a Yankee fan in your draft, but, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But at first, I would certainly agree. Yeah, definitely a lot of Yankee bias in your draft. See, I'm a Yankee fan who doesn't typically draft the Yankees. So <laughs> you, sometimes there are some of us. I think our buddy Derek Ambrose might be like that as well. Uh, yeah. Second baseman. Let's start with a question regarding where you would take a player it's going to be trey turner having second base eligibility do you think that makes him a top three pick overall i certainly do i mean you're going to see him go number one overall in some drafts um he's he's becoming a complete player and he's been that way for years a couple of years now at this point uh the challenge of second base can be a little overstated but yeah i think i think getting that dual eligibility plus uh, the potential to have a league-leading steals guy who can add on 20 to 25 homers. I just think that uh, I think I think he's going to go number one in some drafts for sure. Definitely would be hard to pass on in the top three. He's a 1,000% top five pick. Gotta love the speed element, the batting average, the power certainly developed over the past few seasons. Going to be hitting in an elite lineup next year. I don't know if I personally would take him before Kuna and Tatis. But right after those two, I'm not sure there's a better overall player in fantasy. I do think that Acuna, he could start the season fully healthy, but we don't know. So I think until we get some more health reports, I think you're going to be able to get a small discount on Acuna 
possibly after pick seven, eight, something like that. I'm just guessing here, but that's just where I'm at. And Tatis, we'll have to see if he goes ahead and gets the offseason surgery. Yeah, well, if you're in a draft with me, Acuna's not lasting past pick two if I have pick one or two. Makes sense. Hard to argue against that, especially uh, since he does provide those steals. Yeah, your buddy there, Winston, agrees with me, I think. Um, what do you rather, Jake Cronenworth or Chris Taylor? With this one, it is going to come back to those steals where Taylor is providing 13 steals this year. He's always been a solid steal source. Um, has outfield eligibility, which has been a very challenging position to fill in Roto. I waited on outfield thinking I could load up with the Nemos and uh, uh, you know the Ian Haps and some of those other guys later. They didn't work. Aaron Hicks failed me quickly. It hurts my heart to say. but uh, So I think that outfield eligibility is very solid for Taylor. Provides a touch more steals. Doesn't make as much contact as Cronenworth and is a bit older than Cronenworth. But imagine if Taylor goes out signs a nice contract in a Seattle or a Detroit teams that uh, could have been looking at a Whit Merrifield. Well, you can go out and you can sign a guy who has some Whit Merrifield qualities with Chris Taylor. So that's my guy there, but I love both those players and thought it'd be a fun. Would you rather? I really had to think on this one, probably the hardest of all of the decisions, except actually shortstop was tough too. We'll get to that in a bit, but I was leaning Cronenworth initially changed my mind after looking into the speed factor more. He's Cronenworth is just not swiping bags. Taylor, yes, in a contract year, but does have the second most stolen bases of his career this season. I also trust Taylor to top that 20 homers mark again. Uh, where will Taylor be playing next season, though? If he's back with the Dodgers, then Taylor it is. If he's not, I might have some reservations with Cronenworth. Never really saw him as a 20-plus homer guy, and I could see this season being the outlier for his career in the power department. So with all that being said, I think I'm still leaning Taylor. However, you mentioned Seattle. If he ends up in Seattle or Miami or Pittsburgh or Detroit, probably a pass for me. That makes some sense. Um, Obviously, the Dodgers just have really helped boost his scoring and Taylor was performing much better until the past 30 to 45 days. So his numbers, uh, if you do just kind of a sort from April until uh, July, he was one of the, one of the better hitters in the national league with nearly a 400 on base. So the swoon is going to drop his numbers down. And I just love the talent of Taylor and Cronenworth. I love as well. So two guys I would love to have on teams next year. Uh, definitely, especially the positional eligibility for Taylor. That's a huge factor. Third base. So you pointed out an interesting nugget to me yesterday about third baseman in 2020. So lay it on us and kind of give a little bit of explanation for those who might not exactly understand what it means. Yeah. So I was, I was doing a bit of research for uh, our show and looked through the dollars earned a lot of people say that there's no such thing as position scarcity in fantasy baseball obviously we agree that there's catcher and i have agreed at that point but looking into that further there is position scarcity to an extent this year partially due to injuries taking down studs like alex bregman moncada Yoan moncada has been iffy uh, at the third base position with his power drying up but looking at it there's only been eight players surpassed the $20 uh, earned auction value, meaning, you know, $20 is a, is a pretty, pretty decent amount of money to earn. It means that you had a solid year and you were more than you were very helpful. Second baseman 
had 11 guys earn $20, while third base only had eight. Shortstop had 12 $20 earners, just showing that this year in particular, whether it was injuries or whether there was just uh, poor performance uh, and the positions worsening, uh, third base was a tricky position to fill was kind of the, the moral of the story there. Fair enough. How about these two third basemen? Would you rather with an Austin Riley or a Max Muncy? Of course, Muncy, first base, sometimes second base, potentially, but overall two big-time sluggers. With this one here, it was it was it was Muncy for me. I have a very soft spot for him, and uh, the plate discipline is much better for Muncy. The age is on Riley's side, but even without the position eligibility, I just prefer Muncy. He's he's proven it year after year after year. Uh, he's been an, an unbelievable OPS kind of guy since 2018. And just better, better plate discipline. Um, he's not that old. He's only 32. And then, and then you add on the fact that he has second base and first base eligibility next year. I mean, what's not to like there? So I get it. You may be looking for a guy that can reach another level with Riley, considering the fact he is around a 300 batting average. But for me, I'm going to take Muncie, who's proven it time after time again with uh, several position eligibilities. Uh, one last thing. Uh, Muncie will not qualify at third base next year. He's only played seven games, but it's still an interesting comparison between Muncie and Riley. It definitely is, and if I can get him at second base eligibility, Muncie, yes. it's not even close. I think it's it's a runaway. Uh, if I'm picking them strictly as first base, Muncie, third base, Riley certainly becomes closer. If you were to believe that Riley can hit close to 300 like he's right now, he might even get a slight edge, especially with the age factor as well. But Riley could also go back to being a 245, 250 caliber hitter. And then Muncie in a landslide. It's going to be Muncie's third straight season, not including the shortened season last year, in which he has 35 or more homers. Riley has not done that. And even if we think he could at some point, we already know Muncie has and can and probably will again. So I'm going to go with the safer choice overall in Max Muncy, although I am definitely a Riley fan and very impressed by the season he's put together in the middle of that Braves order. It's going to be hard to pass on Muncy. People probably view him as an older guy. He's not. He just turned 31 less than 30 days ago. He's also cut his strikeout rate down every single year since 2018 from 27 to 25 to 24%. This year, He's only striking out 20% of the time. Oh, by the way, while flirting with 400 on base percentage in several years during that span. So while Riley had a great year, and you love to see a young prospect make good on their promise after struggles, it's good to see them kind of go through the fire and improve. I agree. I think a landslide is a fair way to say it, even though the ADPs could be similar for Riley and Muncie, two interesting corner infield talents. Yeah, but when you also consider, like I mentioned, that second base eligibility for Muncie, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't at that at that point it becomes not close. I think that's such an advantage to have. He could honestly be a top two or three second baseman in fantasy next year. Turner, of course, being number one. Yeah, and looking at it here this year, oh, he's actually 
he's a top eight second baseman behind Altuve, Javier Baez, who's surprising a lot of folks, Whit Merrifield, Ozzy Albies, Jorge Polanco, Marcus Simeon, and, Tr- and Trey, uh, Trey Turner. Um, so he can pass up several of those guys. I think I think he can pass up I think he can pass up a Javier Baez as well as a Jorge Polanco and. He could even pass up a Marcus Simeon if Simeon. He, yeah, and and Altuve too. I think all those yeah. guys are, are passable for him. Shortstop, Jazz at Chisholm. You know I'm a big Jazz fan. I got him late in some leagues. Statistically, right now he is just short of a 2020 season. Has the steals. Probably won't get the homers. Biggest question is. Would you consider him inside the top 75 to 80 picks in your drafts? Because that's probably where he's going to be going. I certainly would. I certainly would. Again, those steals are tough to find. And seeing a prospect like Jazz Chisholm, who some had viewed as raw, I can certainly get it looking at his strikeout totals in the minor leagues. Um, he's come up and he's he's been solid. He's been very solid this year. Better than I expected. I was kind of touting him last winter, as well as yourself, as a very strong dart throw in draft and hold as a, as a prospect that you could have some dream uh, dream on. And he's been more than serviceable flirting with the 2020 season. A name that I want to bring up who has a quite different profile, but was going very high in drafts after some production, but limited, similar to Jazz Chisholm, is a Trent Grisham. I know that Jazz strikes out a bit more than Grisham and doesn't walk as much, so you don't have as much safety there. But I think the playing time is there. I think the talent is certainly there. The impact that he does on the ball um, with with nearly a 200 ISO on top of those steals, he's, he's a good bat. He's going to be improving. And most importantly, he can provide a four category. I'm not going to say five because he does have a 250 batting average, and that's probably what you're going to get. But four category guy, love it. So even with those steals, I think it's going to be a pass for me in the 75 to 80 range. If I could get him in the 100 to 115 range, it would be a different story. And I look at it, the April and May, excellent for him. June, terrible beyond some RBIs. And he's just gone worse as the season has progressed, which you see a lot with young players. The league caught up to him, and he really hasn't adjusted to those adjustments. So for Mm -hmm. me to invest that type of draft capital in a guy that's really had two good months. I'm going to need to see more of a full season of consistency before I can use a fourth or fifth round pick on jazz. It's a fair point. It is a risky pick. I mean, if you were to take a, a Paul Goldschmidt or, you know, a Nolan Arenado or something like that, I mean, you're going to be a bit more likely to bank that production. So I get, I get it. I'm not going to be loading up on jazz. Uh, but we'll have to see where he, he shakes out. And it is a guy that I think has been quite impressive in 2020. I know he only played 20 games, so it's not a great sample, but it is the only previous major league experience he had. He had a 56 WRC plus. Well, he came into the league this year. It's not amazing, but he, he was above league average at a 101 WRC plus. So he came in here and he proved that he belongs and those steals are such gold. Uh, I'll be definitely throwing some jazz into my draft and hold portfolios to start off the off season. Well, keeping it with the shortstop position, let's play a would-you-rather Twins middle infielder Jorge Polanco or Braves shortstop Dansby Swanson. Um, this was the this was the most tricky one that I came up with. Uh, I'm going to just come out and say there is a possibility that Polanco 
is finding a new skill set, uh, tapping into the 30 homer, 31 homers today. Uh, he did hit a home run yesterday. Uh, and, and, the, and the isolated power is just un, unbelievable, near 250, something you'd see from like a Luke Voigt or a, uh, almost a J.D. Martinez or something. It's just ridiculous. Um, but I'm going to pass on Polanco. I know he chips in a couple of steals there. But I just like what Swanson's been able to do. He was a borderline top 50 player uh, in the summer, and he didn't do it in any flashy way. Swanson didn't. Similar to Polanco, they both just kind of fill everything up on the category side. Uh, but I think that Swanson has just been a little bit more consistent and he's been healthier. I know Polanco dealt with an ankle issue that was poor for his 2020. I just, I just don't think that this is who Polanco is. I think that you'd be paying for a definite career high, and which he'll come down off of, in my opinion, next year, while Swanson uh, has proved very solid and steady in improving production uh, over the past three years. Very fair points. I, too, was really torn on this one. Yes. And... I'm not sure I have a clear answer. Might seem like a bit of a cop out, but really I think I'll take whoever lasts longer on the draft board. Makes sense. I was going to say that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean both having breakout seasons, Swanson especially who hits in a better lineup and I am attached to that number 1 pick overall pedigree that Swanson yeah. has. It kind of has me leaning in that direction. It's hard to believe that this is not the best we're going to see from Jorge Polanco. Well, as you kind of alluded to already, Swanton steadily improving time after time after time in that mm -hmm. breakout age, that 26 to 28 range. And he could just be starting to become that star that he was drafted to be number one overall. Just a fun tidbit. I think people forget traded from Arizona before he even played a single game for them as the number one overall pick to the Atlanta Braves for Shelby Miller. That trade is despicable. not looking good. <laughs> that was despicable considering the fact he was the number one guy. We don't see prospects. He was traded like the that. same season though. It's not like he was <laughs> traded two or three years yeah. later. He was drafted and then traded that year for Shelby Miller. That feels like centuries ago when baseball teams operated that way. Now you're now you're going to be lucky to shake out a top 150 guy at the deadline, and Cubs fans are excited to get an Alex Canario uh, for a Chris Bryant. So it's just crazy how everything shifted so quickly to hoard those prospects. Yeah, well, the, the we've seen a lot of young players come up and have tremendous mm -hmm. success. So uh, I can yeah. see why things have changed. So we'll move into our final thoughts here. And we're going to talk about some players who, for one reason or another, we're very interested in next season. So lay someone on me. Who you got? All right. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say Trevor's story. He's going to be concerning to some folks next year as he could leave Colorado. He could sign a qualifying offer this year in Colorado, but I don't know. Obviously, I have no connections to the guy, but I'm not sure if that happens. We'll have to wait and see. Either way, even if he leaves Coors Field, we've seen it time after time again recently with DJ LeMayhew, Nolan Arenado, uh, Corey Dickerson, I believe, is another solid example. These guys do not turn into their road splits when they leave Colorado. It's not that simple. They find a way to go in between their home splits and their road splits. He will come down a little bit, but when you're looking at a guy that can provide possible 25, 25 upside, 
even if he only provides 2020 upside, I think you might be able to land Trevor Story uh, in round three, maybe round four of drafts next year. We're just guessing at this point, but Trevor Story is a guy that I'm going to be all over next year as I'm a huge fan. I don't really view him that much differently. I'm sure you can knock off 10 to 15% of his uh, counting stat production because Coors Field is a huge advantage, but I think it could be overrated like it was with Nolan Arenado and DJ LeMahieu leaving as good hitters will find a way to continue to hit. Definitely good hitters will continue to find ways to hit with Story. If I can get him outside the top 25, I'm definitely, I'm all in. Um, I I mean, this is a guy that a couple years ago I was taking like 7 to 10 overall because of the speed and and power combo. And it's worked beautifully. I mean, he's people may forget of how elite he was with 37 homers, 27 steals in 2018. I mean, 35, 23 the next year. Last year in the shortened season, chipped in 11 homers and 15 steals, pacing for nearly 30, 30. And this year he was poor for the first start of the year, but he thought he was going to get traded. He didn't get traded. He's looking at them like, I'm probably not going to sign here. Like, I don't know. I've heard those reports. But it's a weird season, and if he leaves, um, I'm not going to ding him too much. Maybe maybe a half round. I hope he falls further than that top 25. That would be excellent. So there's a guy I've been touting for a couple weeks now. As you know, it's Austin Hayes for the Baltimore Orioles. He's definitely made me a believer. I guess I can say I'm a Hayes truther. Since the start of August, batting 280 with 11 homers, 29 RBIs, and 24 runs, batting in the middle of the Orioles lineup and finally looks the part of a big league outfielder and you still might be able to get him outside pick 200 although the draft stock certainly rising and it wouldn't shock me if other people started to pay more attention to him and he ended up going in the 155 to 170 range an interesting guy for a handful of reasons one the park is just such a perfect position for him where he's not an elite hitter but he's a decent hitter so so that baltimore park and the other adjacent ale's parks will certainly boost him up um the fact that he's not an elite obp guy i think will make him not sexy but he could be very high value uh, for where you pick him and then one last point that i had noticed kind of sifting through his profile he's seen a huge bump up in his barrel rate percentage going from four percent and five percent in 2019 and 2020 doubling that up to a 10 percent barrel rate so you really it's hard to fake that um i love to see that improvement there and it's good to see a young player come into his own especially in baltimore where those guys are slept on because the team stinks even though they're solid for fantasy yeah, they are. I mean, there's certainly some nice contributors like the Mancini's, Mountcastles, Mullins, and now Hayes. Agreed. I think that I think the OBP could make his price not too high since he's not, you know, a, a big, uh, you know, save. He's not saber friendly per se with the 300 OBP this year. And I think Lucas, the power is going to be plenty. That's something to keep in mind if you're playing in on base percentage leagues is to yeah. move him down those draft boards. I mean, uh, those things have to be considered and they have to be well thought out. But in your standard five by five, mm-hmm. I think Hayes is going to provide you some really nice value. I agree. I think that I think the lack of OBP could allow him to slide under the radar is really, if anything. Fair enough. Got anybody else for me? Yes. Another guy that I've been quite interested in uh, is Corey Seager. Uh, Again, 
He's not going to be a cheap pick. He's going to be another high draft pick, but been really good uh, with his rate stats this year, uh, closing in on nearly a 400 on base percentage with close to a 300 batting average with still regressed power from the shortened season, but plenty of power. Um, I'm going to be on Corey Seager. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he goes as a free agent, similar to Trevor Story, but I think uh, I think Seager could could get a little bit of an injury discount, and it was a hand issue, so I'm not too worried about it. It wasn't soft tissue, uh, or it wasn't necessarily related to any of his other injuries. So Corey Seager is a guy that uh, was going round three this year. I think you're going to get a little bit of a discount on that. I don't know how much. Probably won't be too much, but I'll be intrigued for him next year. Definitely a great hitter, and I do think landing spot will play a role uh, if he goes to a lesser market than L.A., which is pretty much every market outside of a couple, uh, he could get discounted for sure. One more guy I want to talk about here. It's certainly an obvious name, but he's missed basically the whole season. It's Mike Trout, and yeah. I really could see him falling till the end of the first round or even, crazy enough, the early second round. And you look at him, and sure, he's gotten older, and these new stars have come into the league, but any given year, Trout could still be a top three player in dollars earned by the season's end. And it's clearly not about skill and production for him. It's about health. And certainly this year has not gone his way or his owner's ways. And sadly, I got him in a lot of places at pick six through eight. I'm not going to be scared off, though. I mean, if I can get him late first, early second, I will own him on every team. I do have him on one team this year. It was the first league that I drafted. It was the eighth uh, draft champions league on NFBC. So we were talking early, early November. I drafted him at sixth overall, and I thought that it was highway robbery. Uh, Turns out that was not the case, unfortunately. But uh, the calf injury was serious. Um almost to Troy Tulowitzki or Josh Donaldson magnitudes, which does need to be factored in. But if you can get him uh, closer to the wheel after pick uh, 10 to 12, he must be considered. Um, yeah, I could, I could see myself with a share or two, but um, yeah, we'll have to see where he falls. He's an interesting case. I'll probably need to dive in a little bit more on him this off season personally, before I make any uh you know, statements on how much I want, how much exposure I want to Trout. See, it's funny. Mike Trout's a guy that I'm drafting blindly. <laughs> hey, I mean, that's uh, as, as, as so many uh, other players, such as Jose Altuve um, or others, I can't even remember, have, have tried to be the first round, have tried to be the one overall, the first overall. Okay, I mean, all let, let me ask you this. Forget injuries. S- assume everyone's playing 160 games, okay? Yes. Name me how many players that would be guaranteed better than Trout if they all played 160 games. Um, I really think you can only do like three to four names uh, with Vlad Guerrero Jr. having a possibility to do that as well as Juan Soto uh, in addition to Fernando Tatis Jr. And for Roto, it's possible you could say Trey Turner, but all of those are far from a guarantee. I do not have any doubts about one of the greatest hitters of all time in Mike Trout. It's just the injury risk I do think uh, is getting up there. It's not the first year he's had uh, lower leg issues. Um, he's had he's had some of those creeping up over the past few years. So that's the concern for me. But on the talent level, I would agree. He is a top 
you know, one, if not top two hitter, uh, for sure. Certainly so, certainly so. And I know I caught you off guard there with that question, but it was just kind of to illustrate a point of how good he can be and being worth a risk where he could be going. But this has been the Lucas Baseball Podcast brought to you by DrRoto.com. Subscribe to our many packages. There's tons of different options, so have your choice. We have content for MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, PGA, NASCAR, eSports, DFS, fantasy sports, sports betting, basically your one-stop shop. And as I mentioned off the top here, every Sunday morning during the football season, we have a start-sit show with Dr. Roto and a DFS last-call segment with expert Chris Emmerich, both of those streaming live in our Discord channels. I'm Lou Landers at Landers Talks on Twitter with co-host Lucas Beery, Lucas Beery 33 on Twitter. Thanks for tuning in to the Lucas Baseball Podcast, and we'll catch you next time.